You guys are going to be blessed tonight because I'm blessed to even bring this message to you tonight. I'm excited about it. Um, excited for a number of reasons. I won't tell you all the stuff that caused this message to come about, but needless to say, I am uh, I'm bringing a message tonight that I have preached before, but I've added a little bit more to it, and I've changed the name, and we've got some more scripture for it, because the reality of where we live at today, how many of y'all realize where we live at today? America, right? Coffeeville, Kansas, right? Do you understand that even in Coffeeville, Kansas, Kyle, I can talk right over him. You do not have to worry about your kid, okay? I promise you. And nobody in this room is going to hear him over me, okay? <laughs> we, we're all parents. We got it. It's all good, okay? Now, the reason that this message is so important to me is because we live in an area of the country where you hear a whole lot of Christianese talk. If you want to know what Christianese talk is, it's my version of everybody likes to talk Christian, but nobody really expects to live like a Christian, okay? And as soon as you bring up something in the Bible, they go, well... That might be what you believe. Even though the Bible says it unequivocally. So the real issue in modern Christianity is this. The, you have a whole sect of people who say they believe God. But you also have a whole sect of people that don't listen to God. Can we get an amen on that? I'm not here to preach about one certain sin tonight. I'm not here to preach about one certain group of people tonight. But I am going to point out a few things that we in society have taken for granted. And that modern, the modern world, the modern culture tells us one thing and the Bible tells us something else. Matter of fact, one of which not only does the Bible tell us one different thing, science tells us a whole nother thing. Amen? So tonight I want to first start with our premise, which is found in 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting at verse 14. And I titled tonight's message, Let God Be True. There's a verse in the Bible, and I got this title from this verse, and I'm not even going to use this verse in the sermon. But the verse is, let God be true and every man a liar. And what's meant by that is God's word is true, whether you like it or not, whether it, it, it makes you feel comfortable or not, whether, whether it agrees with your sensibilities or not. God's word says one thing, and if you don't believe it, God's true and you're not. But we don't like that kind of thing in modern society, modern Christianity. We want the pat you on the back and tell you everything's all right kind of Christianity. Amen? 
Now, normally we have, what, 15, 20 people on Wednesday night. I don't know where they're all at, but I hope you guys go and share this video because they need to hear it too. Can I get an amen? 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. And how from a child you have been acquainted with the sacred scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. I want you to underline this word. Circle it in your mind if you don't have a Bible. All scripture. Look at your neighbor and tell them all. All scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof. For correction, for training in righteousness. Now, I'm going to deal with that term here in just a minute, but we'll finish the last verse. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And I believe the King James says, fully furnished. The King James says, fully furnished for every good work. Thoroughly furnished. Amen. Now, I want to deal with this concept that's been thrown out here that all Scripture is breathed out by God. What does that mean? That means every single portion of the Bible, God breathed out to somebody. Amen? That has been inspired by the Holy Spirit that it is useful. Useful for what? For all the things we don't like. It is. Look at what it says. Useful for teaching. We're all right with that, right? We're, we all like, oh, I like teaching. I like teaching. Sure, I like teaching. The next two points, we don't like too much. Okay? And then me being a little bit heavier of a guy, I don't like the fourth point either, okay? And I'll tell you why. Look, it says, for reproof, for correction. What's reproof? When you reprove something, what are you doing? General idea, anybody? He said, I don't know the word. Watch this. Reproof is a form of correction. Exactly. For correction, for reproof. Reproof is more like a rebuke, okay? Correction is a little more gentle. Rebuke or reproof is a lot more serious, right? We don't like people that say, hey, that's a sin. The Bible says it's a sin. And then we go, well, you don't love me. Well, if I really didn't love you, I would just let you keep sinning. Because that's what it looks like to not love somebody. I'm going to get ahead of myself if I don't stop it. And then the last one, Training. Training, you know, like an athlete training, okay? Look, look at me. Do I look like I do training? No. I don't like training either, okay? But training in godly things is absolutely necessary. Amen? And how do I know what godly things are? Hmm, I got a book. It's got 66 other books in it. It tells us how we should live our life. Everybody goes, I want to be a mature Christian. I want to be, I want to have it all together. Well, 
This scripture tells us that all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. And then it gives you the reason. So that the man of God, the woman of God, may be complete, equipped for every good work. How do I get equipped? How do I be complete? We got a whole generation of Christians that are not complete. They're still babies running around with their newborn. I got saved 25 years ago, pampers on, and will not grow up in the things of God. What is wrong with us? I'll tell you what's wrong. We don't believe the beginning of this. We don't believe that all scripture was breathed out by God. I want to take you through just a little trip through the Psalms, if I could. We're going to go through the Psalms, and then we'll hit Isaiah, and then we'll hit Matthew, and then Second Peter. We're going to do it all real fast, okay? So we're going to go to Psalm chapter 30. And all the verses that I'm going to read to you are verses about God's Word and the, the necessity of God's Word. I could have started in Psalm 1. Or I could just quote Psalm 1 to you. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, or standeth in the way of sinners, or sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is on the law of the Lord, and on his law does he meditate both day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by rivers of living water, whose leaf does not wither, and whatsoever he does prospers. But this only happens, this, this, this part where... Everything he does prospers and his leaf not withering and whatsoever he does prospers. All of that only happens because this man did not sit in the seat of the scornful. He did not walk in the way of sinners. He did not sit in the seat of the scoffer. But his delight, the thing that he loved, was God's law, God's word. And he meditated on it day and night. This lines up with first, or 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is God-breathed. Why did he say all that? He said, remember the sacred scriptures that are able to make you wise unto salvation. Amen? Remember them. Psalm 30, verse 5. <laughs> for his anger is but a moment, and his Favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may endure for the night, but the joy of the Lord comes in the morning. Why? Because of God's word. Psalm 33. You can clap. You can do whatever. It don't bother me none. Psalm 33, verse 4. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. Psalm 119, the longest chapter in the whole Bible. Psalm 119, actually I want to go to Psalm 19 first. Let's go to Psalm 19 and then 119. How about that? Psalm 19, verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right. They rejoice the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. 
The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and dripping from a honeycomb. Psalm 119, verse 160. Psalm 119, verse 160. As soon as I get there, I'll say amen. Woo, that's a long chapter. Amen. Watch this. The sum of your word is truth. And every one of your righteous rules endures forever. Check this out. Do you know what Jesus prayed for us when he prayed in the garden of Gethsemane? John chapter 17 records Jesus praying and he said, Sanctify them by your truth. Thy word is truth. And he was probably thinking of Psalm 119 verse 160 when he said that. Psalm 119 Flip back to verse 89. And consequently, if you don't know this, you can read the whole Psalm 119 because the whole psalm is about God's word. The whole entire thing. The longest chapter in the Bible is dedicated to praising God's word. Verse 89. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth and it stands fast. By your appointment they stand this day and all things are your servants. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my afflictions. I would never forget, I will never forget your precepts. And by them you have given me life. I am yours. Save me for I have sought your precepts. The wicked lie in wait to destroy me, but I consider your testimonies. I have seen a limited I have seen a limit to all perfections, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. Woo! The word of God. Go to Isaiah chapter 40. We're going to flip to Isaiah real quick. Yeah, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8. Got another one for you. As the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God will stand forever. Matthew 24. Matthew 24. Verse 35. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. This is Jesus speaking. We could go ahead and turn, if you will, to John 17, just so I can read this verse to you and you know that I wasn't fibbing to you. It's right there in Scripture. Now watch me not be able to find this verse, Kyle. 
<laughs> okay, verse 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. This is Jesus praying to the Father on our behalf. And finally, I want to go to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 and 21. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is how Paul, when Paul says, all scripture is breathed out by God, this is exactly what he's talking about. Jesus, when he was being tempted in the wilderness, the Satan came to him and said, said, here, if you're hungry, take this stone and turn it to bread. And he said, but the, the, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. I could go on and on and on and on, but I don't think I need to beat this horse any longer. The word of God is true. And every other thing on this planet is subject to, to what God's word says. Period. This is our faith as believers in Christ. That we know that God's word is our rule for faith and practice. It is the rule for every area of our life. Tonight I want to bring up just a few things that are so ridiculous to me. That are so astonishing that people believe them. Even though science denies it and the Bible denies it and God thoroughly denies it. Modern Christianity, and I'm using that term very loosely, so-called modern Christianity says that God's word is not really specific on things like gender or marriage or Order in God's church or order in the home or sexuality. God's word is kind of ambiguous, but it's really not. And I want to just step through a few of these with you. Number one, you want to see God's definition of gender. Go with me to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Excuse me. And the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed in his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living creature. And if you skip down to verse 15, it says, And Lord God took man and put him in the garden east of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded man, saying, You shall surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. If we skip down to verse 21, we see something else altogether fascinating. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on man. 
And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up the place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And then Adam says these words. Therefore man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast unto his wife and they shall become one flesh. You want the word of God on gender? The word of God on gender is this, that God made them male and female, made he them. Amen? We can even flip back to, to chapter 1, right? Uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. And God said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he them male and female. Modern Christianity says gender is a construct of social order. But the reality is, biologically, who can have children? We, there's, a, there's, a new, there's a new thing going around. It was a commercial for, for uh, women who are having children, but they had to put people have children. No, people don't have children. Women have children. Men are altogether incapable of having children. Only women can be mothers because only women can give birth to children. Period. That's not just biblical fact. That's biological fact. The reality is when you go to the hospital or you go to the hospital or you go to the hospital, they have to treat you differently because you're a man. And other things can be wrong with you that can never be wrong with women. That's a fundamental problem if you go to the doctor and tell them you're a woman when you're actually a man. It will not help you. It will cause problems. If a woman goes in who's not really a woman but a man and says, oh, I have, I have uh, something's going wrong with me and, and they start doing all these tests and all of a sudden they can't figure out what's wrong because this woman actually has a prostate, which only men have, which only men can have a prostate cancer because they're made different. Those things are necessary when we go to the hospital. The Bible doesn't draw distinctions between men and women to make things harder for people. God draws these distinctions because they're absolutely necessary to his plan. Amen? The reality is that God made man and woman for family, to raise children to teach them to glorify God. This is the plan of God from the Garden of Eden. In the law, in the New Testament, fathers, teach your children in the way that they should go. When they're old, they will not depart from it. This is the whole reason. God made marriage for another reason. You want to hear this? 
so that it would foreshadow God's redeeming work so that we would understand when Christ says, I am your husband and this church is my wife, we would totally get the concept. The New Testament men, Christian men are called to love their wives as Christ loved the church like he gave himself up for it. Christians, the submission of wives is not to subjugate women. It's to show you that God's church is supposed to be submitted to its head. The head of all the churches who? Christ, who is our bridegroom. And we are the bride. Jesus defines marriage. Even though we find the very first marriage in the Genesis passage we just read. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife. It's very interesting to me that God looks at Adam and says, It is not good that man is alone. Because he said the same thing about Kevin O'Connor. About... 17 years ago. The reality that God instituted gender and that God created us fearfully and wonderfully made we are and we should love what God has made us to be. We should glorify God as men who love God and love our wives and love our families and lead our families and love the, lead our communities. Wives should love their husbands like they love Christ. They should submit themselves to their husbands not out of obedience, but because they love Christ and they want to model the same submission that we have to Christ. I'm not letting husbands off the hook because the New Testament also tells us to submit ourselves one to another. Amen? Wives, they submit Men, you get to die. Right? This is, a, this is a view. And I want to give you this view. Husbands are to look at their wife and say, what can I do to make her life better? What can I do to make her provide for her? What can I do to, to, to make her more comfortable? And think only about her because he's giving himself up. For her and the wife in the same way is going to look at her husband and say what can I do to make him better what can I do to help him to be a great person what can I do to help him be a, a, a better father a better husband a bit come on somebody this is what the Bible teaches you want to know what marriage is marriage is not what the government says it is marriage in the Bible is between one man and one woman forever for life that's marriage. The government has no business regulating something that God established. And for almost 150 years, the government in this country had nothing to do with marriage. It was an institution of the church. It was an institution of God that they respected. But in 1950-whatever, they started passing their own laws about 
marriage and divorce. Jesus defines marriage in Matthew 19, verse 4 through 6, and I'm not going there. Jesus defines marriage there the same way we find it here. He said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife. And Jesus adds just a little bit to that and says, what God has put together, let no man tear asunder. In other words, let me, let me give you a, a, the modern interpretation of this and not just about a single marriage. Let not anybody tear that marriage apart. But it's telling you unequivocally the institution of marriage is not to be torn down by any government, by any man. The institution of marriage was instituted by God just like gender was in, uh, uh, established by God. And no one has the right to change it. But we don't like that because it's not popular. And I get this a lot. I get it all the time. Oh, oh, well, you know, they feel like they feel like they're this other thing. Okay? Why does that have to change how we define men and women? Why does that have to define uh, why do we have to deny fundamental reality? I'm a man. She's a woman. That's fundamental reality. And to say that we can't say that no more is an affront to God who made us male and female. The reality is, do you guys realize this, that over the last 20 years in America, the population has steadily even though we have all these people coming in the population has steadily shrunk because of two major factors nobody's really getting married and having children anymore and the growth of homosexuality in this country has caused populations to go Shh. what god meant for our good Nobody wants. And it's not because what God says is bad. Let's, let's talk about this. Because sometimes people go, oh man, you're talking about like rules and the law and stuff. We're under grace. So what's the fundamental problem with you not having any other gods but God? That's the first commandment, right? You shall have no other God before me. Why is that oppressive? Why is it oppressive? For the God who loves you and gave his only begotten son for you. Why is it wrong for him to say don't worship anything else? How about this? Thou shalt not murder. How is that law oppressive? How does that law oppress anyone? That law does not oppress anyone. That law actually shouldn't be that hard to follow. If you love God and you love your neighbor. Amen. You shouldn't want to murder them. And the very fact that you may want to murder them may mean that you need to run to God and throw yourself upon God's mercy. Because that law is revealing in you something that's not right. And it's no different with all these other sins. People say, oh, you know, God loves homosexuals. And that's right, he does. 
But nowhere in the Bible does God agree with homosexuality. Just like nowhere in the Bible does God agree with, with murder or rape or, or incest or... Do I need to keep going? He doesn't agree with those things. I want to read a verse of scripture to you. And I want you to get this, okay? And this is very important, and I don't want you to take me the wrong way. But I want you to hear it. And I want you to hear it clearly, and I want you to hear why I'm telling you this verse, okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither sexually immoral. Now this sexual immorality or the sexually immoral means anything outside of the bonds of one man and one woman in holy matrimony so it covers everything outside of biblical marriage that's what the word sexually immoral means nor the idolaters those who worship other gods those who worship other things nor adulterers nor men who practice homosexuality nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor the drunkard, nor the revelers, nor the swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, if I just stopped right there, it'd be devastating, right? It'd be devastating if I just stopped right there and didn't keep reading. If I, I just left it, nobody that has done these things or does these things will ever inherit the kingdom of God. But it says this, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. This is the, this is the point of this message that I'm trying to get across to some people that I talked to today. This Normally, Wednesday night or Sunday night, if I'm not preaching through the book of a Bible since we've we're really been going through Genesis, but when I have a message like tonight, it's because I've had a conversation with somebody in the real world, and they brought a question to me, and then I, then I gave them an answer, and now I want to give that answer to everybody else. The reality is, do we love homosexuals? Yes. Do we love murderers? Yes. Do we love thieves? Yes. But just like the murderer cannot come to Christ and keep murdering. Just like the thief can't come to Christ and keep stealing. The homosexual can't come to Christ and keep being a homosexual. That's what the word of God says. Not me. The context of this verse says that those who do these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. It didn't say anything about those who had done them in the past. It didn't say that there wasn't forgiveness. It didn't say that there wasn't grace. It didn't say that, that you couldn't be forgiven. What it's telling you unequivocally is the gospel. Jesus, when he began to preach the gospel in Matthew chapter uh, 2 or 3 and Mark chapter 1, he came saying, repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent of what? Repent because all men everywhere. Every person on this planet is born in 
sin. Sin separates us from God. Sin makes us think that these things are good things when they're really not good for us. We have watched as generation after generation for the last 50 years, we've been told that fathers and mothers are the same, that there's no difference in the families. You don't need a mother at home. You don't need a father at home. You, you can like the opposite sex. You can do, and we are reaping a whirlwind of judgment. Abortions. Kids killing themselves. Fatherless homes. Motherless homes now. Did you realize that's a trend now? Used to be just dads not at home now. It's moms too. Because we don't want to realize that God made us. And has a purpose for us. And has a destiny for us. But the longer they walk in that darkness, the more they're going to stay there. If you want to see a nation that God has given over to its sin, look at America. We're living in Romans chapter 1. Where God has allowed us <laughs> to chase unnatural affections. If I read to you, which I might just do. Second Timothy chapter 3, starting at verse 1. But understand this, that in the last days will come terrible, difficult times. For people will be lovers of their selves, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable. Do you realize that we have never lived in a generation like we live in today where you can't even agree to disagree anymore? That's how much hatred's out there. Unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, Swollen with conceit. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having the appearance of godliness. But denying the power thereof. I'm going to close in the book of Jude. It's a little tiny letter just before the book of Revelation. He says this. This is Jude writing to the elect. And the dispersion. He says this, But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you that in the last times there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. Whew. Wow. It is these who cause division worldly people devoid of the spirit of God but you hold up your hand but you whenever he says but you he's telling you this is about you this is what you should do right 
But you, beloved, build up yourselves in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Paul tells us in Corinthians, he says, What fellowship does light have with darkness? What fellowship do believers have with unbelievers? What fellowship should we Christians have with those who are ungodly and unworld uh, or and, and worldly, who do not love God, who do not seek God? I tell you what we're doing wrong in the church. A lot of us, we want to be friends with them, but we don't want to tell them the truth. People say this all the time. You got to tell the truth in love. And what they really mean is, be nice and don't tell them the truth. Because that's what they really mean. What they really mean is don't hurt their feelings. Don't make them too upset. But sometimes the truth hurts. Let me ask you a question, and I'm going to close with this. I already said it twice, so I better do it. If you saw a person... Wandering aimlessly on the railroad track. And you saw a fully loaded locomotive heading at them. They, didn't, they couldn't see it. They couldn't hear it. They couldn't feel the vibrations. But they're standing dead on the tracks. And you see that train coming. Would you stand couple hundred yards off and go hey brother I love you man you gotta move you gotta get over here you got look it's dangerous over there would you do that or would you with everything in you say hey there's a train coming get off of there would you not run to him? Would you not jump on him? Would you not move him off the track? All these people who say they love Coffeeville, but are unwilling to hurt somebody's feelings, are unwilling to let dead and dying people know that God loves them, but he wants them to repent and turn to him. Why do we do that? I forget who said this. Is one is a Puritan, I'm sure of it. He said, We must preach to dying men as a dying man. Jonathan Baxter. Richard Baxter. Richard Baxter. He said that because he said, I want to preach every sermon like it's gonna be my last. I want to talk to every person I talk to like I'm never going to get a chance to talk to him again. Because here's the truth. He don't know. You don't know. 
I don't know if we have tomorrow. And we don't have time with America going seemingly spiraling straight to hell. It's time for God's people to wake up, to sound the trumpet, to get at the top of their lungs crying out to lost and dying men, lost and dying women. You want to know why I believe the word of God is true? Because Jesus said so. And if I believe in Jesus, I have to believe when he said God's word is true. It's that simple. How about this one? Jesus loves me. This I know. Why? Why do I know that? For the Bible tells me so. Amen? Here's the truth. God loves these people out here. God loves the homosexual. God loves the, the adulterer, the fornicator, the idolater. He loves all of them. But Paul in Acts 17, verse 2, he says, God in these last days has called all men everywhere to repent. Repent. Believe the good news that Jesus Christ came down from heaven, took on human flesh, lived a holy, perfect life so that he might be the propitiation for all who believe in him. That the scripture would be fulfilled. That all who call upon the Lord shall be saved. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word that is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. God, we ask tonight that this message, as we have heard it, as we have believed it, God, as we have received it, that you would use it to change us, to mold us and shape us into your image. God, if there's anyone that is watching on Facebook or in this room or in the nursery listening, God, that does not know you. God, I pray that after they hear this message, that they would repent, that they would believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, that they would believe in their heart and confess with their mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, that they would believe that God raised him from the dead for justification of their sins so that they might be able to come to saving faith and have eternal life. God, I pray that that would happen. And Lord, for all of us who do know you, God, I pray that you would help us, strengthen us, embolden us, and empower us to share your love, but also, God, to never, ever compromise the truth. Let us tell the truth in love. Let us love completely. But let us never love completely at expense of your truth. Lord, we ask that you would help us tonight, that you would help us in the next coming weeks and days and months, God, that we might live our life to glorify you. Not in part, but in whole. Everything within us, God. Lord, we ask for your grace.
for your mercy tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.